Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacy Brookman. But in those early days, I would have given anything to know that I hadn't been abused. And, you know, I just kept saying, I, I don't want this to be true. And, you know, and then I knew it was. Hey guys, this is Stacy Brookman, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the only podcast that connects you with the world's best resources for becoming a resilient person. Our guest today writes to hug people with words of encouragement and challenge. He yearns for them to appreciate themselves and to realize that God created each of us to love and be loved. So if you need a little bit of encouragement, stay tuned. Before we discover more, let me share something with you that might change your life. You're a confident woman. You're smart. You have friends. You have a good life, except for your relationship. It sucks, and it's a little bit scary. Perhaps you've thought about leaving, but you don't want friends and family to know. Or your partner has scared off your friends, and your family lives too far away. Perhaps you're alienated from the people who have supported you in the past. Maybe you just don't want to be alone. Or don't want to be another breakup statistic. So, how do you know when it's time to leave the relationship? We have a free checklist just for you. How to tell if it's time to leave your man. A simple tool to help your decision making. Go to stacybrookman.com slash time to get your free checklist. I love to hear from listeners personally, and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode, or ask me a question. My email is stacy at stacybrookman.com. Now let's welcome prolific author, speaker, and survivor, Cease Murphy. Well, we are very privileged to have Cease Murphy on the show today, and he has some really amazing things to share with us and a great new book out. So, Cease, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks, Stacey, for inviting me to be your guest. This is really exciting because I've been following you for years and years and years. I, I don't know where I discovered you at, but you have a blog for writers and uh, writer to writer. So I've gotten that for a long time. And then I get you and Twyla have a little newsletter that goes out. And um, so I've just been following you for a long time. And you are a very prolific writer. And I also have a blog for male survivors of sexual assault. Yes. I, it, how, how old is that, that one? I just discovered that one. The two blogs I do, both of them I start around 2010. Okay. Wow. And that kind of gets us into your story, too. So, you know, I want to talk about your book in just a little bit. But first of all, tell me about your history of, you know, maybe sexual abuse and how you came into this and how you came to the knowledge that you are using right now to help other men, male survivors of sexual abuse. That's a great question. You know, we 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 were sexually assaulted, uh, and I use the word assault rather. I prefer that over abuse because it really is assault. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm one of those who actually forgot it, meaning which is a form of denial. Right. Uh, and I was uh, probably 51 before I ever remembered it. Uh, and and I, I'm a runner; been a runner for 40 years. And I was out running one day. Uh, and I had, I had not cried since I was 11 years old. Oh, wow. And that more, more, 
And Aspasia is sick. I think about an eight mile. Wait a minute. Sorry. That was a long run. That was a, a 12 mile run, just really going at it. And so I was kind of tired. I think it knocked out my uh, resistance. Anyway, about the last mile, I started crying and I couldn't stop. Oh. It, it, it was so totally foreign to me. And not only did I not, couldn't stop, but all kinds of pictures in my head, in my mind, uh, childhood abuse began to surface. And I, I, I thought maybe I was going crazy at first. Mm-hmm. So I got home. My wife was at work. So I called my best friend who was home. He came over and I started telling him. And my best friend uh, is a therapist. Uh-huh. So he, he never, pra- he tried never practice therapy on me. <laughs> We're just really good friends. And so he listened for a long time and he, he said, yeah, he said, it's, it, it's things you need to face and it, it says that you're ready for it. So just let it come. And it, and it hurts so deeply. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I cried almost all day off and on. And when my wife got home from work around five o'clock, I, I told her and she just held me and hugged me and said, yeah, let's, Please talk about it. She had no idea. There were a lot of little things in my past that would seem like odd things to me. Mm-hmm. For instance, I'm one of those kind of guys who eat anything, just lay it there and I'll eat it. Except one time, we were missionaries in Africa. We we had some visitors there and they brought stuff and uh, one handed me a bar, a, a bottle of uh, a jar of raspberry preserves, and I said, I don't like raspberry. Uh-huh. My wife said, honey, you like everything. And I said, no, I don't like raspberry, raspberry jam. And she just thought that was kind of funny. I, and, and, and I did too. I, all I knew is I could not eat that. Right. Now, one of the memories that came back in those early days was there was an old man who lived with us. He used to entice me to come to his room. Mm-hmm. And he raspberry preserves on saltine crackers. Oh, wow. So I didn't remember what happened. I only remember the raspberry preserves as being bad. Uh, yeah, bad. Uh, and slowly, day by day, Stacy, the memories started coming back. And I will tell you, like a lot of men, I tried to convince myself that I was uh, my imagination. It was everything right, but the truth. And yet I knew it really was. Um, after maybe Oh, seven or eight months, maybe a year, I uh, called uh, one of my sisters, and I told her what happened. And that that old man had who assaulted me had also assaulted her. She was retarded. Oh. And she told me, she said, oh, I had forgotten, but I knew she hadn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, my dad beat the man up and kicked him out. And I never did understand that part because I, you know, I was just, I was like five years old and she was like nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, she remembered that I had said to her once, uh, don't go into that man's room. He's not a nice man. Mm. Uh, and she did anyway. So that, anyway, there were little things like that that came up in my child, uh, came up in, 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 I was beginning to be aware of this. And slowly, slowly, the things started coming back. Um, then I, uh, there was then an organization called a National Organization for Changing Men. Never heard of it, but my best friend knew about it. So he told me to go. I went to one of their meetings. 
um, they had a big conference here in Atlanta and they had a small group and the first small group I saw it said men who are sexually abused in childhood mm. and I thought that's where I need to go right a little bit late getting there there were six other men and uh, they were just finished introducing telling their story and they said tell us about your story and you know I, I hardly knew what to say I said uh, anyway, anyway, I told them, and, and I then I started crying again, and they hugged me and said, you know, we've got similar stories. Right. The other part about my childhood is that my father was a functional alcoholic. Mm-hmm. This is because my dad used to beat me regularly. Mm. Never missed a day of work, but rarely uh, let a weekend pass that he wasn't drunk. Wow. Um, so part of the reason I never cried was because when I was 11, I finally decided you're never going to make me cry again. Right. Uh, he, he beat me till I cried. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, cried early. I just decided he'd never hear me cry. And um, he never did because mm. I didn't know how to cry. So there's, there are parts of me that are just locked inside. Yeah. I started reading, learning about this. I knew there had to be other men out there like me. So finally, I don't remember exactly the year, but it was around the year 2000, I finally uh, wrote a couple of articles, articles, two different magazines about male sexual abuse, and it got great response. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's time to write a book about it. Uh, now, I'm a full-time writer, you know, right. and I publish almost everything I write, uh, but I could not get a publisher to publish it. Ah. Six years I tried, wow. tried, tried. Yeah, and nobody wanted. They'd say, "Oh, boys don't get a get a, a, assaulted," or um, uh, "Who wants to read about that?" Or there's so few boys. Uh. But we just interject this. What we now know, they've given an official figure: one in six boys. One in six women. Uh. But wait a minute. Okay. Then they want to say, and the research bears this out, that men don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. The other fact to know is that. Uh, most men who don't talk about it in childhood, and that's most of us, uh, they're between the ages of 35 and 55 when it finally comes to the fore. That's where I was. Mm. People who really work with these folks, uh, the survivors, we're, we are now saying it's probably about the same for boys as it is for girls. Right. About one, three. Mm-hmm. That's sad. Six, that's still six too many out of every... Uh, you know, right. One's one is too many. One is too anyway, many. Anyway, I tried to um, get this book published. Nobody wanted it. It was a book called "When a Man You Love Was uh, Was Abused." Finally, I was at a, 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 a conference, and there was a fellow named Steve Barclay, who's an editor of Quiggle Books in Grand Rapids, and he's. I've seen him over the years. I liked him, you know, and, and he was always saying to me, "Hey, see, we're going to publish a book with you one day." And and he said that again. I said, I leaned down close. I said, Steve, I have a book, but you won't publish it. Uh-huh. He said, how do you know? I said, because nobody else will. Uh-huh. What's it about? I didn't do this on purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm just, so I, I said, I looked at him, stared right in his eyes. I said, Steve, it's about men who are sexually abused in childhood. I pulled back thinking, okay, let me hear it. Right. He, said, he said, you know, we might. I said, oh, yeah, right. He said, <laughs> Oh, he said, the climate is changing, and we might do this. Uh, and they did. Wow. And the book has done very well. It's been out since, I think, about 
2010, something like that. Okay. And they expected to sell like um, 3,000 copies in a year. Mm-hmm. And they sold like 3,000 in the first couple of months. Oh, my goodness. It's not a bestseller. It will never be a bestseller. And, you know, you know, the sales that are, don't come from the bookstores because men aren't going to go and ask that kind of Right, work. right. Amazon and online sales are where it comes from. And then they asked me if I would do a second book, which I did. And now this new one, the third one, called uh, More Than Surviving. Uh, this third one is really more a book about not just getting well, but it's thriving and enjoying your life. Also, over the years in this blog, uh, it, it, if you look at the blog, it doesn't look like we have many followers. I think, I think it's like 56 or something like that. But a lot of men check it anonymously. Right. There's still shame associated with abuse. Oh, of course. And now, now they're really beginning to respond. If you look at my blog, it's called Men Shattering the Silence dot blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. And now I get a lot of somebody named Anonymous, which are probably a lot of them. Right. Uh, that's fine. I say, I don't care what you, if you want to call it your Anonymous, give yourself a phony name, doesn't matter. Uh, just talk to us and, and show us uh, where you are so we can respond to you. Right. And sometimes I get as many as 10 responses to a single blog entry. And I keep my entries short, by the way. I, mm-hmm. I read nothing more than 400 words. All right. This new book I've got coming, More Than Surviving, I, I asked five men who regularly read the blog and, and have responded. I said, uh, would you let me use five of your entries and I'll revise them, edit them slightly? They said, oh, sure. So, because I wanted two things I wanted. I wanted first, I wanted writers, readers to see that I'm not the only one, that this is just not true. I mean, this is, these are all kinds of people. Second thing is, I've been dealing with this so long now. In times, I forget some of the issues of the early stages. Mm-hmm. These were all, these five men were all in the early days of their recovery or their healing. And I encourage them to write to me. So tell me about this book. So it's all about how you can recover? No, it's really a kind of an inspirational, it's like a daily inspiration or what they call a daily devotional. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's almost like my blog. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of the things are taken from the blog and re-edited. But what I want to do is every day, for like a, there are like 160 of them, I wanted to give men and the women in their lives, women who are hurting, to just give them a thought to encourage them to know that these crazy feelings or questions they have, they're not the only one. Mm-hmm. And one thing I particularly wanted to address is secondary survivors. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of women who put up with this pain, and sometimes they know the man was assaulted, but often they don't. My wife didn't know for many years, and I've, I've been so grateful to her that she stood by me. Right. Uh, Fairly early in my healing, uh, she would always listen to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time I, I said to her very early, after maybe, I'm going to say five months, six months, I said, Shirley, um, I don't know who I'm going to be when this is all over. When I'm, <laughs> I thought I'd become some fine. Right. Some Never really quite ends, but I'm getting closer. <laughs> I said, I, I don't know who I'll be. And um, if, you listen, if you don't listen to me, and listen carefully. We'll still be married, but you won't know who I am. Mm. 
And then she started crying and said, honey, I want to know. I want to be there. Mm-hmm. I said, wonderful. I want to tell her. And then one time I was really, my heart was just falling apart. I was trying to tell her about this really terrible experience with this old man. And I finished, she said, you know, I don't understand about abuse. But I love you. Mm-hmm. Always there for you. Wow. And it was, it was her strength and encouragement and that of my best friend. And that's what's kept me going. And I think that's what also prompted me to finally write about it. Right. Let's go back to that time when you discovered, was there a time when you discovered, you were like, okay, I've, I've discovered this. Now what do I do with it? And you were talking a little bit about it. Was there a time when people did not believe you or were wondering, okay, what's this all about and, and doubted you? At first, and I think this is typical of males who come, come in, when the memories start coming back. Uh, at, by the way, at that time, there was a lot of stuff going on about the false memory syndrome, and I grabbed right. onto that. Oh, that's one of those. But there were just too many other things. And um, I was also sexually assaulted, actually, first by a female mm. uh, my mother, by the way, oh. uh, as long as my siblings were alive, I promised I would never mention her by name, mm-hmm. just female relative. But I remember vaguely what happened, and one of my sisters finally said, yeah, she said yeah, she was sexually assaulted by her own father, oh. uh, and so it probably makes sense to her. Right. And, it made, and my sister's my brothers were, by then were dead. They'd all, my brothers died of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. My three sisters became very, very supportive. I was so afraid of them. Right. Um, but in those early days, I would have given anything to know that I hadn't been abused. Right. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I was hoping I'd done some, something I'd read about or, but, you know, deep down inside, I knew. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my best friend, the therapist, and my, my wife, neither one of them pushed me. They just listened. Mm-hmm. Neither one gave me advice. And they, they just let it happen, let it come out. And they were there to hug me and encourage me when I needed it. And, you know, I just kept saying, I, I don't want this to be true. Right. And, you know, and then I knew it was. Yeah. Was there a point, a turning point in your recovery or your healing process that you can you you can point to that says, okay, I've I'm I'm putting this in my past. I I've worked through this, and I'm moving forward in a much better manner. Was there one turning point, or was it just a long period of time? Well, I, I don't remember one specific thing, but here's what I did realize. It took me all those years to get in touch with these things. And what I also realized is that it isn't just the abuse, it's, it's the effect it has on you. Mm-hmm. I felt worthless. I felt useless. Look, let me just tell you, I have not published 141 or 142 books, okay? Wow. You see, that is not normal. Right. No <laughs> normal person writes that many books. If we're writing that much, it says something is driving us. So I, I realized finally, this only like five years ago, I realized I was a driven man. Yes. I didn't know it. And I remember one time an editor asked me, what drives you? And I said, oh, I've got a lot of energy. Well, that's true. But I was really driven. And, and I began to realize that it was that sense of worthlessness, mm-hmm. trying to 
prove that I was somebody. So it, it's all those kinds of lack of trust is another one. So we all have these kinds of things. And here, the reason I go into all this is because I'm, I'm still not quite healed. Mm. And I'm function fairly well, but there's still little things that have been messed up because of my childhood. Mm. Was there a point when you were just in despair and you were trying to, you know, think about, you know, no, I, I wish this would had never have happened. I wish, you know, I, I'm just making it all up. But you were in despair. Oh, every day for probably five, six months, every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I found that that's fairly typical. <clears throat> You're actually used work and busyness, right? And to drive you to keep those thoughts at bay, right? Yeah. And, and, and by the way, I started writing when I was a busy pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me tell you how crazy I was. Um, I became pastor of a small church and church grew, 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 grew. And I was teaching an, a, 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 teaching an adult Sunday school class in the morning, preaching twice on Sunday and doing a Bible study on Sunday night. Wow. And, and kept going all week long. Uh, and, you know, got by on maybe six hours sleep because I was driven. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? It's this sense of I'm really worthless. Mm-hmm. I, I never said this, but this, only later when I realized it, I was always afraid somebody would, feel, would realize that I was absolutely useless. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. That's sad. So I, I produced a lot, but look at the price. Mm-hmm. So how how have you cared for yourself? How have you done self-care since then? Good question. One of the things I've learned to do is just to take time for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, every morning when I pray, I spend time, you know, asking God to help me take care of me, mm-hmm. to be good to myself and do things for myself. Um it, for, for a long time, that was so hard for me. I was I was one of the kind of people, I could do it for you, anything you wanted, you know, that was, that's also another problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I've learned to do is say, get, when people invite me to various things, I say, no, I really don't want to. Right. Uh, last Thanksgiving, um, I got some, two different invitations for Thanksgiving. Um, my family and I celebrated a couple of days beforehand because that way they could go to their in-laws. And I got the invitations and I said, you know, I just want a day for me. Right. And I took it. And you know what? It was really kind of wonderful. Oh, that's good. I've been used to that. So here I am still learning. And I just had this wonderful, peaceful day. I slept late, really late, which I never do. I just did things for myself that I would nor- not normally do. Right. So, and, and yet you're still prolific in your writing. You still, how many blogs do you write? Two. Two blogs, okay. And these, and books. I am a, now officially retired. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, see, what I was doing before I was writing from book to book, I was doing three or a few times I did 10 books in a year, which oh is goodness. It's insane. It is insane. Yeah, and now I'm, I'm doing things for me that I like doing. I'm volunteering, mm-hmm. uh, doing a lot of volunteer work. Um, I'm, uh, I, I, still, I still run every day. Uh, even today, I, well, today I didn't run. I went for a long walk in the, in the melting snow. In the snow. It's been <laughs> uh, but otherwise, um, just trying to 
take care of me. And I, I'm writing enough to enjoy it, but not so that it controls me. Right. Beautiful. Okay, let me ask you this. If there is someone listening who is maybe suspect something about their own childhood, a man, or maybe they've just learned some things about themselves that maybe that's they experienced assault, what would you say, how would you help them start their journey? Well, there are all kinds of ways. Uh, one of the easy ways, and I'm not, I'm not just trying to sell a book, but my first book, When a Man You Love Was Abused, mm-hmm. the first half of the book t- kind of tells who we are and our symptoms and no two, no two men are the same, but there's a lot of similarity. And the second half of the book is, here's what a, a woman or a loved one can do to help you. Mm-hmm. And that book is, that, I think that's it's very practical. Uh, go online. Uh, I've got a blog. There are other blogs. Uh, come to my blog and just ask questions. Uh, but I am convinced that the sooner we start talking about it, right. sooner the healing takes place. There's something about I guess the term they use is owning. Mm-hmm. Once you begin to own this, come face it, and you don't want to believe it's you. Uh, so you keep exploring, and when you find they're convinced it is, then you need some help. Or go to a therapist. Right. Very good. Yeah, because you need somebody to hear your story, whether it's a therapist or your a best friend or a spouse or you know, somebody else that you trust with your story. Yeah, see, I never went to a therapist, and the main, even though my best friend was a therapist, I never went to a therapist because mine was a trust factor. Mm-hmm. I kept saying that, of course, this was a defense mechanism. I said, I am not going to pay somebody to have to listen to me. <laughs> uh, they're not listening because they read on hear me. They're just listening because I'm paying them. Right. I, I, that, that, that's irrational, but that's it is. how yeah. I handled it in the beginning until I just exploded. Wow. So, Cease, they can find your book. It's called More Than Surviving, Courageous Meditations for Men Hurting from Childhood Abuse. Hey, you got it right. Yeah, they they find that on Amazon. Or uh, where else can they find more about you and your blog? Well, just um, Google me. Uh, my name is Murphy, spelled with an E-Y. But even if you just spell it without it, you'll still, it'll still bring it to me. Right. And one of the things I say at the very beginning, and this is really where I am, Stacy. I say... I want to hug people with my words. Mm. That's my goal, is to help people feel burned and loved. And, and you know, it's it's like I'm trying to, I've been giving where I wanted to receive from others. And so I, it, I think it's quite natural that this would be the place I would reach out and say, hey, I want, I want to care about people. Mm. And if people uh, go to my blog and email me, uh, I will respond. I respond to everybody who writes to me. Mm. Thank you for being that listening ear, but also that wise um, person that's been there that's sharing information about this so that um, it's not hidden anymore. So I appreciate you stepping out and sharing all of your information. Thank you for inviting me to come on your program. Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. As I interviewed Cease, I couldn't help but think, what would I have done if I had remembered such abuse? What would you have done? Would you tell anyone or would you hide it and let it eat through you day in and day out? Cease actually experienced a mental breakdown and his memories started to haunt him. He couldn't help it. Mustering his resilience, Cease decided to stand up against his fears. 
He did research, he investigated, and ultimately he helped himself. And he's helping thousands of other abuse victims. I believe this is the greatest achievement a person can aspire to. The ability to counter personal fears and use them as a lesson for your life. Perhaps take a moment to just peek at your own fears. You don't have to delve headfirst into them right now, but acknowledging that they're there is the first step. Then you can ultimately turn to face them and conquer them. That's all we have for today. Last episode, Antoinette Martin shared her thoughts on stage four metastatic breast cancer and hugging everyone you know. So if you have had cancer affect your family, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview Louisa Kasha, who engineers out-of-the-box solutions for out-of-the-box children. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on Pinterest, YouTube, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. But before you go, don't forget, go and download that checklist, How to Tell If It's Time to Leave Your Man. Quit wondering and find out now. Download that for free at stacybrookman.com slash time, T-I-M-E. One more thing, we're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the day is All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriet from 1972. Take an unforgettable journey through the English countryside and into the homes of its inhabitants, man and animal, with the world's best-loved animal doctor. Harriet's heartwarming and often hilarious stories of his first years as a country vet perfectly depict the wonderful relationship between man and animal. And they intimately portray a man whose humor, compassion, and love of life are truly inspiring. Check out All Creatures Great and Small and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com slash 100 memoirs. And always remember, life is a story and it's never too late to start telling yours.